Recovery Elevator, episode 166. My strategy is to just really think about how I will end up if I do it, how that night's going to end up. Sure, I might not drink that much and go to bed, but then the next day I'm going to drink and the next day and eventually I'm going to have another one of those nights where I black out and I get in a fight with someone or I sleep on the ground or something like that. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, it has been just over 43 months since my last drink. On today's podcast, we've got Samantha. She's 27 years old. She's from Louisiana, and she took her last drink on February 10th, 2018. Before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator Podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me. I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe R meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get started. In Book Club, in Cafe RE, we recently read the memoir Drinking, a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp, which I highly recommend. And on page 257, I came across probably my favorite value bomb of the book, and I decided to do a podcast episode on it. This is the line. Early sobriety has the quality of vigorous exercise, as though each repetition of a painful moment gone without a drink serves to build up emotional muscle. I absolutely love that line. Emotional muscle, a.k.a. coping skills. So life will happen. Remember that it's not happening to you or anyone in specific. It just happens. We cannot control that, but we can control how we react to the different challenges that life throws our way. With each presented challenge or problem, I want you to say to yourself, Okay, Lori, or in my case, Paul, here's an opportunity to build my sobriety muscles. You may not realize this, but with each passing problem you encounter and surpass without a drink, you are building new, healthier habits that will strengthen those sobriety muscles. And dang it, there's that word again, opportunity. I'm sure some listeners out there are so sick of hearing me say that, but that's what it is. Each challenge presents a new opportunity to either strengthen your sobriety muscles or weaken them. And like I mentioned in the last podcast, when you face a crossroads in sobriety or face a difficult decision, sobriety usually isn't located down the path where unicorns roam freely and Enya starts playing 15 minutes before every sunset. And you might be saying to yourself, damn it, Paul, I'm sick of opportunities. And believe me, there have been times in my life, in my sobriety life, I've said the same thing. Come on, HP, no more opportunities to strengthen my sobriety muscles. But my response to that is this. My higher power, my HP, and yours will only put enough on your plate, on my plate, that we can handle. Now, I can't prove this with scientific data, but when I look back in my life at these stressful challenges, everything ends up just fine as long as I stay sober. 
my HP will only put on my plate what I can handle at that given time. So here are some plausible scenarios you might find yourself in. Spilled a blueberry slurpee on your white shirt? Well, three weeks ago, this scenario would have resulted in a high intake of alcohol-filled beverages, but today, no thanks. I'll do some sobriety pull-ups and not drink over this one. Went to take a shower this morning and the hot water didn't turn on, which confirms your assumptions that the hot water heater in your musty crawl space needs to be replaced. You say to yourself, that's going to be at least four grand, and that's if I watch YouTube videos on how to install it myself. Well, it looks like it's leg day when it comes to building my sobriety muscles because this is going to be a tough one. But here's the word, great opportunity. Quitting drinking is effing hard for multiple reasons, but the two big ones that immediately come to mind are that we can become physically addicted to the drug called alcohol, and number two, we resort to alcohol to help us solve or get through nearly every uncomfortable problem we experience in life. I heard a quote the other day that I absolutely love, and it summarizes perfectly why getting sober and staying sober is so hard, and that's drinking isn't the problem, it's sobriety. When we make it past the uncomfortable withdrawal symptoms, we start to encounter life. Life can look like this. We push the remote control power on button and the TV didn't do what it's supposed to do. Damn it. I push button, TV is supposed to come on. Damn it. Kids didn't wipe off the dog's feet, which is awesome unless you want a clean floor. Instantly, whether we know it or not, an internal conflict is building. We've overcome so many problems in life, big or small, with alcohol, that breaking this habit is hard. And just like breaking any other habit, it takes time and lots of repetitions to start building new, healthier habits, aka not drinking. In my own experience, for the first month of sobriety, when I encountered a problem, alcohol would immediately present itself as the solution or part of the solution. It was the drug that allowed me to either get past an uncomfortable feeling or emotion, or when I had to take action towards a problem, it was the carrot on the end of the stick that motivated me to do it. But slowly, after each problem was successfully navigated without alcohol, eventually alcohol stopped showing up as a possible answer to any problems in life. Now this felt great, but it took months for my unconscious mind to flush out alcohol as a device that could solve the problem. So how to get past these problems? I'm talking about coping skills. Well, the answer to that can be found in the previous 165 episodes of the Recovery Elevator podcast, but a great start is a solid line in the sand. No matter what, I will not be drinking over this problem. Now, usually a solid line in the sand is carved out with willpower, and that's okay, especially in early sobriety, because eventually you'll begin to develop long-term sustainable coping mechanisms. These could be exercise, cafe RE, a recovery community in your own town. This could be AA, meditation, yoga, a long, hot bath, etc. But I'm not going to BS you here. And I know that I can't because I've seen the stats on how educated the recovery elevator audience is. Those first 10, 20, 100 challenges encountered and surpassed without a drink, they're going to be tough. But you can do it. And I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done myself. Okay, enough out of me. Let's hear from Samantha. Samantha, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Paul? I'm great. Thanks for asking and thanks for joining us. Samantha, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Today is day 18. Day 18. Congratulations. I bet that feels good. It does feel good. Yeah, that's a huge milestone. And Samantha, before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, if you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Well, I live near Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm 27. I'm not married, but I live with my girlfriend and my cat. And for a living, I work at a law firm. I like to 
sing, listen to music, play guitar. I like to read, listen to podcasts, but I would also love to travel. I used to travel a lot. I really love to travel and hike. And I'm a geography student, so I get a lot of wanderlust. <laughs> Are you currently taking classes in geography? I am actually... As I started to get sober, I decided to go back to school because I actually quit during my senior year and I'm officially going to be signed up for the summer. Well, cool. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. So Samantha, you're 27 years old. You've got 18 days of sobriety. That is huge. Now let's back it up a little bit. When did you first start to realize, wait a second, maybe I don't drink like a normal drinker, shall we say? There's many different moments and I've gone back and forth. There was, you know, a lot of time that I spent medicating myself with alcohol. I had really bad anxiety. I've had it since I was a teenager, and alcohol ended up really helping me with that, I'd say, in my early 20s, and I started to realize that I needed it, and I would try to find other ways, take medicine for it and stuff, and it just wouldn't work like alcohol. Does this mean you would take medicine for the anxiety but didn't work as well as alcohol? Yes. Gotcha, gotcha. Unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I, I can attest to that as well. Alcohol is a magical potion. It's very powerful, and it sneaks up on us, and it does what a lot of over-the-counter stuff can't do, even prescribed stuff can't do. And so, yeah, for me, anxiety and alcohol were directly related, and I had to tease out the alcohol before I had any chance of addressing the anxiety. And, yeah, so back it up a little bit. Tell us, tell us a little more about your background with drinking. Well, I am from Louisiana, which I know everybody says that everybody drinks in their town, but you know, <laughs> they do. everybody drinks here, and it is a big culture thing. You know, we have Mardi Gras, and we have festivals, and we have all kinds of stuff like that, and there's a lot of shows, and there's really not much else to do unless you want to go bowling. So, you know, I grew up around drinkers, family drinkers, but I wasn't a big drinker because I saw it in my family and I saw people go through terrible things because of alcohol. So I was like, I'm never going to be like that. I went to college, wasn't a big partier for my first couple of years. I was about 22 or 23 before I really started drinking a lot. And that was whenever I was in an abusive relationship. And I was actually living in Minnesota at the time because that's where I went to school. I moved from Louisiana and I went to Minnesota and I was doing really well at first. I really didn't drink much. And then eventually, once I got into that relationship, it was always around and it was the only way I could cope. And then when the relationship ended, I just kept going and it kept getting worse. I added other drugs into it. And ever since then, I just haven't been able to let go of alcohol of all things. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> and I've, I've heard this a lot of, you know, I have no idea what it's like to grow up in Nebraska. All we do is drink. So, <laughs> and it's like the same in Montana and it's like that everywhere. But where did you find people drink more, Minnesota or Louisiana? Honestly, Louisiana, it might just be the people I know, you know, it, I have found like late in the past couple of weeks, I've been thinking about, you know, why does everybody seem to drink? And then listening to the podcast, I've been thinking, why do we all say that? It's got to be because it's who we surround ourselves with. You're 100% correct on that. In fact, I just did an episode. It actually might not be out yet, but it's like it's that 30% of Americans don't even drink at all. It's, it's not like they don't drink as much as we do. They have one or two beers, and they don't drink as all, at, at all, which I read that stat, like can't be. I dug a little deeper, and it's actually right around there. About 30 to 33% of Americans don't drink at all. It's just I never surrounded myself with those people, so you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. 
And I have been thinking about that a lot lately. And in Minnesota, a lot of the people I was hanging out with were very serious students because while I did have some major problems with alcohol, drugs, an eating disorder, abusive relationships, so many things were going on in my life, I was still 4.0 student. So a lot of people I hung out with were, you know, they didn't really do any of that. They were focused on school. They were going to grad school. So, but a a lot of people did still drink, but it just seems more in Louisiana, but it's because of who I hang out with here. So you mentioned when you were like 23 or 24, you realized you were drinking a lot. What does a lot look like? What were your drinking habits? Started with mostly just wine and eventually I discovered whiskey and I went from zero to a hundred with whiskey. I had my first sip and I was like, I want all of the whiskey now. So I would just get like a fist and drink it in one night, share it with someone. Maybe we'd end up needing more alcohol, but whiskey a lot and straight because I just wanted to taste it. And did you ever put any rules in a place to say, hey, look, I'm only doing a bottle of whiskey on the weekends only, or I'm only going to share this. I'm not going to drink alone. Yeah, I would try very hard, like buy a smaller bottle or only drink on weekends. Um, I've never been much of a day drinker, so that was never really a problem. I could wait, but it was the trying to do the weekends. I'd be like, all right, Monday through Wednesday, I'm not going to drink. And then Thursday, I can have a drink or something like that. And I'd end up drinking on Tuesday, you know? Yeah. I've, I've yet to hear a solid game plan on those. Sometimes those plans work for a week or two weeks, but it just, they're not sustainable in the long run. And so what was your rock bottom moment? What spurred you in the sobriety? Was there, was there a particular situation or was it just like the sick and tired of being sick and tired? Sick and tired of being sick and tired was a very big part of it. But as far as rock bottom, I've had a couple of moments. I would say that one was definitely whenever I got turned away from my therapist. Uh, I'd been seeing for a while and it was, I've been to so many different therapists because I am, I have BPD borderline personality disorder and I've known that for a long time. And I had been told several times that alcohol was a problem and I needed to quit. And I'd be like, no, 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 it's fine. I can stop anytime I want. That's not a problem. I don't need it. I don't even like it that much. I just do it. It's fine. I just have anxiety. And they would be like, okay, well, I finally found a therapist I really loved. And then one day they made me sit with one of the other psychiatrists in the office. And he told me I couldn't see my therapist anymore. And I couldn't see anyone at that office until I went to rehab inpatient and got help for alcohol And I was totally baffled. And I think I got worse after that because I just, I had no one to turn to. And then another rock bottom moment I had was actually the day before I quit recently. Wait, wait, let's let's go Um, back to that other one though, real quick, if if, if that's okay. Um, Yeah. 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 So it sounds like you kind of had an intervention by people you were paying to help you. And what did you, what did you, what did you say? did, did, Did you go to inpatient rehab? No, I got mad. I just got really mad at him. I mean, I didn't do anything, but I just looked at him like, are you serious? You're not, you're just going to make me leave. And he was like, honey, you're drinking a fifth of whiskey every night. That's bad. You need to go to rehab. Healthy people don't do that. And I was just like, okay, whatever. And I went home and I drank. I didn't go to rehab. (laughs) <laughs> and looking back, are you, you uh, were you like, man, that, that, that he was onto something, or were you like, man, what a jackass still? 
Yeah, I definitely think he was on to something. And I had another really sobering moment. Whenever I was, I was finally looking for another therapist after moving back to Louisiana, I called them because I really didn't realize they were actually not going to take me back. And I called them and tried to set up an appointment and they told me no. Wow. And I started crying and I was just like, why? And they said, have you attended any treatment or anything for this? Do you have proof that you've received treatment for your alcohol issues and your drug issues? And I was like, no, but I'm better now. And they were like, nope, sorry. Huh. They followed through with the threat and wouldn't take your money. Huh. I wish I mm-hmm. wish more places were like that. Actually, uh, right? Yeah, I mean that's I, I've I've had I mean I've had therapists in the past ask me about my alcohol and I've denied it blatantly to their face. They did it maybe with a little bit more tact, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, but maybe I hit it better. I I don't know, but yeah, I think maybe if that doctor had done it with more tact, it could have had a different result. But who, who knows? You, that was a, a rock bottom moment, which sucks. And, and what were the other ones you're going to mention? The other one would probably be the day before I quit drinking this, you know, 18 days ago, the Friday night before that, it was a Saturday that of my last drink, the Friday night before that, I got really drunk, blacked out. The next day I wrote in my journal and I said, today is my first day of sobriety. I'm going to prove to myself I'm not an alcoholic. I don't need it. I'll do this for a while and then I'll be, you know, I'll figure it out. That night I blacked out downtown during a parade and I wandered off by myself. I went to a bunch of different bars. I don't remember where I went, who I talked to. I uh, went back to the bar. My girlfriend was playing a show. I went back to the bar that she was at, and I fell asleep on the ground outside right by the door to the place she was playing. And I slept there for 30 minutes. Don't remember it. Got back up, went back running around, drinking and doing whatever. My friends had to come and wrangle me into a car and drag me home. I woke up covered in bruises and scratches and didn't know how I even got home. Yeah, so you wrote in your journal, you're like, today's the day. I'm not going to drink for a while, and then I'll figure it out. And then that for a while appears to have lasted uh, 10 hours, 6 hours. Am I hearing that right? More like six hours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been there before. I've woken up and promised myself, Paul Churchill, we are done drinking for good. And maybe six hours, maybe four, maybe two, maybe 10. I, I don't know. And it's just a cognitive dissonance. And what is that how, What is that feeling of exhaustion like to, to promise yourself one thing and then, you're, you know, and then not fulfilling any of it? When I woke up the morning after that night, I was just so low. I felt terrible. I looked terrible. I felt shameful, guilty, embarrassed that I put my friends through that, that I put my girlfriend through that where she's making money. She's trying to do her job playing music. You know, she makes money from it. And I'm sleeping on the ground next to her and people are asking her, is she okay? What's wrong with her? She's just drunk, blackout once again. You know, it was just, it just felt so terrible and I just didn't want to do it anymore. Samantha, I feel like this is an exciting time for you. Um, you know, 18 days ago, that, that you, you, had a, you had a terrible moment. You slept on, on the concrete in front of a store. I feel like the only time that would be acceptable is if there's the new release of the iPhone 11 and, and that's the door front where you, where you can purchase the iPhone at 8 a.m. the next day. But 
<laughs> sometimes we got to hit these acute painful moments. And you mentioned in the dialogue we had before, you're like, Hey, has anybody in the cafe or you groups had experience with BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. And I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to go moving forward without alcohol. And in the last 18 days, how have you noticed your anxiety, your borderline personality disorder, just your baseline without alcohol? Well, borderline personality for people that don't know, basically your moods are more extreme and more intense. Like I don't feel sad. I am the saddest person when I'm sad. If I'm angry, I am so mad. Like every emotion I love hard. I hate hard. It's just all over the place. And also not only are they really strong emotions, but they can change in minutes, hours, and it's just up and down. So one of the benefits for me with alcohol was that it just kind of evened all of that out and I didn't have to deal with how intense I felt sad or this or that or anxious or whatever. I could just drink. And now that I can't do that, I'm actually on medication to try to help. I'm on Zoloft now, but I'm having to really deal with all these emotions, very intense emotions without alcohol and it is very difficult and samantha that is courageous as hell for lack of a better way to say that <laughs> dealing with these Thank emotions you. and these feelings without alcohol for any amount of time an hour a day 18 days that's an incredible feat so i regardless of what happens in the future like you just got to be proud of that time and I, and I heard a great quote i forget where i heard it but uh if you want to find out why you drink so much quit drinking and then you got to feel all these emotions. And how has that yeah. been for you in the last 18 days? It's been refreshing, but also painful. There are things about my life that I've realized that I'm not happy about. And a lot has actually come out of it. You know, I sat down at my desk at work. And as much as I love my job and the people I work with, it's not what I want to do with my life. But I have been just numbing myself and doing it anyway, because that's what people do. We get up, we go to work, we live our lives, and we die at the end, you know. And I was like, you know what, there's more than that. And I thought about school. And I was like, I have to go back. I need to stop being afraid of trying and just try. And I think a big part of why I didn't want to try to do anything with my life was because I was like, but I drink too much. And I knew in the back of my mind that that would always get in the way of whatever I try to accomplish. So having this new feeling of being really healthy and feeling like I can actually do what I want to do is really awesome. But on the flip side, I am dealing with a lot of change and a lot of things that I'm going to have to change to stay sober. You know, there's friendships and events and things that I do and I'm going to have to find different things to do. And I'm still kind of grappling with that and trying to ease into it rather than rush myself into making all these decisions immediately. I'm trying very hard to stay level-headed. <laughs> uh, there was a lot to comment on there, but I'm going to talk about the, the <laughs> word fear is what you said. It sounds like in the talk about the word fear is what you said. So when I was drinking, all my decisions were based off of fear. And I can't comment for you, but it sounds like it was similar for you too. Is, I think it's something of what you said, but it sounds like going to school, you're making a decision not based out of fear, but out of, of like a better opportunity in your life. And I recall the first couple of months when I got sober, the feeling came back in my life of, wow, if I set my mind to something, I can 
I can obtain, I can achieve anything. And I hadn't had that feeling since I was a teenager. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, I also had to feel the mm. emotions as well. Then he also said, there's a lot of things I'm gonna have to change to stay sober. We've heard the phrase, you don't have to change much. You just have to change everything. And I agree with that <laughs> in some sense, but uh, what do you plan on changing? Well, I've already stopped going to as many shows. That is a big part of my life is going out and jumping on stage and singing a couple of songs or singing the whole show. And I think a lot of what I'm going to have to change is those situations. For the most part, I, I do spend a lot. I spent a lot of my drinking time at home. So I just have to find different things to do while I'm at home. And going back to the, I can actually do something with my life. I was constantly drinking instead of doing the things I was afraid to do. But if I just do those things, then I won't have to drink. So that's what I'm trying to focus on now is putting things in my life that take up that time and that space to where I don't even have to think about it. And if I do, I'm busy anyway. I think that's a solid game plan. And there, there's something I want to chat about, which you mentioned in the message previously was, so your girlfriend who also might be an alcoholic, but she doesn't appear that she plans on stopping anytime soon. And you have to deal with that every night, which makes it hard for you to stay sober. Tell us more about that situation. How that makes it hard for me to stay sober. It actually doesn't make it much harder. It, it's just really hard to see her like that because I really do love her and I know that she she has the same issues as me and she wants to stop but I don't know if she's gotten to that moment where it's like this really like I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired I really think that has a lot to do with it when you've mentioned it a lot in the podcast where you just couldn't even look at yourself in the mirror and that's the point I got to I would look in the mirror and I would be like no that is not me who is that and, you know, living with her and seeing her drink because she's anxious or just unhappy about something in her life, it, it's difficult in the sense that it makes me sad for her or not so much. It makes me want to drink, but it is kind of hard to see a bottle of whiskey sitting on the counter. And especially if I've had a hard day and I'll try to ask, you know, can you not drink tonight? And she'll usually listen and she won't, or she'll get something I don't like, like gin, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so have you had a conversation with her or, or she's just like, Hey, Samantha, if my calculations are correct, it's been 18 days since you drank. What's going on? Oh no, we, we've talked about it. She's very proud of me. She thinks it's great. Well, it's, I think it's kind of stirring something in her. She, wants to do it too and i'm hoping that if i keep going that she'll do it with me because that would mean so much to me yeah and I've, what i've learned is the best way to get somebody to take this journey with you is just to lead by example because i've i've asked and i've convinced and i've tried to you know coerce people but it, it's funny the people that are sober they're just if I've had a couple of people in my life get sober and I didn't even know they got sober and they were just kind of watching from afar. Like, well, you saw you do it for a while and it didn't look like your life sucks. So I'm gave it a try. So you have an opportunity to be a trailblazer <laughs> and, and really be of service to somebody close to you in your life. And that's like, that's a cool opportunity. And, and in just 18 days, like what benefits have you noticed from quitting? Oh, so many. My skin looks better. I feel better. I've lost weight. I've even had people look at me and be like, you look so healthy and you look like you've lost weight. And I'm like, thank you. I 
quit drinking alcohol. Oh. It's so fantastic. <laughs> Do you have a network and, marketing scheme I can sign up for? Please sell it to me. <laughs> kidding. It really, like, I feel so much better. I honestly didn't. I even started to look it up. How will quitting drinking benefit my physical body? How? I don't believe it because I would hear people say everything improved. I felt so much better. And I'm like, there's no way that this is going to fix this. And it did. And on top of that, my emotions have been easier to handle. Every day I've been handling my emotions so much better. And I guess it's because I don't, I haven't added to it with drinking. You know, whenever I would have a day where I'd get drunk and go to sleep and wake up for work feeling horrible, I'd get to work and I looked terrible. I felt sick. I didn't want to do anything. That would in turn make me feel bad about myself. And then I'd start feeling anxious, shameful, et cetera, et cetera. But now I don't ha I get full nights of sleep and I wake up and I'm like, I feel fine. And so I don't have as many emotions to deal with. So I'm able to deal with the ones that I do have a little better. Yeah. And in the message you sent me earlier, you said the getting sober is so hard, especially with BPD. And I, I know it's hard. Mm -hmm. I, I went through it many times. It sucks. And I find it's easier to stay sober than to get sober. So that's my plan is to not drink again. You know, but I recall my first month, especially first 30 days, 60 days, I had cravings. And that was that was one of the hard parts. Fortunately, those are no longer part of my recovery. I don't even really think about it. And my body doesn't physically crave alcohol. But what have you done when you get cravings and urges to drink? I really like the saying, follow the drink. Is that it? Follow the drink? Nailed it. Yes. I like that. Every time I'll look, you know, I'll see a bottle or just anything or I start to think about it. I, I was meditating one day and the guided meditation was going through all the senses and it said, think about one of your favorite tastes. And in the middle of my meditation, I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I just, the first thing in my head was crown Royal. And I was mm. like, Oh crap. Now I really want it. And this was when I was only like five days in. So basically what I, my strategy is to just really think about, how I will end up if I do it, how that night's going to end up. Sure, I might not drink that much and go to bed, but then the next day I'm going to drink and the next day and eventually I'm going to have another one of those nights where I black out and I get in a fight with someone or I sleep on the ground or something like that. Yeah, follow the drink, play the tape forward. I use that a lot and I, and I still do it. Every so often I have the thought, wow, a Corona on a beach would be nice. But then I just play the tape forward <laughs> Think like, oh man, have I ever just had one beer, one Corona? And that's a hard no. It would be 10, 15, and would probably lead on to years of drinking. So that's good. You use that recovery tool. It's one of my favorites. And, and so, Samantha, what, you know, at age 27, you're lucky. And, and I'm like, I got sober at a young age, but, you know, I lost a lot to alcohol. And what have you lost to alcohol? A lot of my dignity, honestly. I do respect myself and I think other people respect me but there's always that in the back of my head that night that I you know ran out on the street barefoot or I slept on the ground or you know just all kinds of different things that have happened to me I, I got caught in a flood one time just all those drunken horrible memories are always in the back of my head and I have to think about that it's a memory I'll always have so I feel like Part of my self-esteem is kind of chipped away at because of that. And I think I've wasted a lot of time that I could have been receiving therapy for other issues 
before I even started drinking. And then while I was drinking, when I could have been getting help and trying to move forward and fix these emotional issues and get new coping mechanisms and do all these things that I knew the whole time I should be doing instead of drinking, I wasted all that time. So now I have to kind of start from scratch and try to improve my mental health with all of that behind me. Yeah, I, I like that question and I hate it at the same time. I, I like it because I can use these past events in my life as sobriety fuel. I can look back and say, man, I've wasted a lot of time and money. I can't do that again. But also mm -hmm. I can go down the bad path to, of self-loathing. I, I mean, I lived in a foreign country, had the most amazing setup, and I made the least of that experience. And sometimes I beat myself up about it. And that's why I don't like the question. But it's good to keep in mind like what I lost. But what I, what I try to flip is like what I still have left to lose. And that's it's, – it's huge. It's huge. So in every, everything that, that I lost that in sobriety – yeah, it is. And everything I've lost in sobriety, I've gotten back and then some, crazy enough. Um, but yeah, I, w I was actually interviewed on uh, by Annie Grace. She's the author of This Naked Mind, her podcast today. And she asked me this question, and it's a hard question. And I'm curious to see what your answer would be, Samantha. But what advice would you give to your younger self? Ooh, to my younger self. I think I would tell my younger self not to smoke cigarettes or drink ever. <laughs> That is a hard one. Yeah, and, and I, so I'm on both <laughs> sides of the fence on this one. I thought about it before. So when she asked the question, I was like, "Oh, here we go. Have a seat." And so two things. <laughs> I, but I'd be, I would have two conversations with younger Pablo. I'd say number one, pull up a chair, and I'd probably read the, the big book, uh, "This Naked Mind" by Annie Grace. I'd probably go through the information and say, "Alcohol is shit. It's poison. It's literally if you drink enough of it, you're going to die. It's in all the facts and this and that." You know, but it, it, looking back, though, at that time, I wasn't ready, and that's a huge one. Or I'd go back and have a conversation and say, oh, yeah, here's a bottle. Hurry up. Speed this process <laughs> up. Just start drinking fast. Start drinking hard so we can sober up quicker. I'm on both sides of the street. I fully believe in harm reduction, and it doesn't have to get that bad. But I don't think I was ready at that time. So it's it's a hard question. It's a really hard question. Yeah, and you also have to think about the fact that a lot of us, when we're in school, they do give us a lot of that information. We're just too young, and it just kind of doesn't matter to us. Yeah, you, you that's know? a good point to make. I, I remember, yeah, I remember being in classes. I went to a Catholic school, and they would tell us drinking's bad, drugs are bad, drinking and driving, this and that. And we would just be like, okay. <laughs> but we were, <laughs> you know, 13, 12 years old. We didn't really fathom, like, having a life like that where drinking was part of it. So it just kind of went over our head and then we become an adult and everyone's drinking. So we do it too. And all that stuff that we learned is just, you know, so even if I could go back to my younger self, I don't think she'd be able to comprehend that. I, I, I honestly, I think if I did talk to my younger self, I would tell myself to love myself, to ah. stop being hard on myself, to be kind always be kind to yourself. You are a person just like everyone you look at and you need to love yourself. Cause I think if I would have loved myself more growing up that I would have made a lot more wise choices. I think that's the value bomb of this interview right here, Samantha. If, if and next <laughs> time I get asked that question, I'm going to be like, I thought of this. I'm going to steal what you just said and I'm going to take all credit for it, Samantha. But I'm going to say, I would go back and tell Paul <laughs> Churchill to love himself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But I, if I ever get asked that question again, like, that's what I'm going to go with. Be like, Paul, whatever you do, drink, don't drink, just love yourself because you're worth it, man. So 
man, you did a better job yeah. answering that question than I did. And I, I, I had months <laughs> to prepare for it. So nice job. <laughs> and I got one more question before we hit the rapid fire round. With 18 days of sobriety, Samantha, what's your proudest moment so far in the last 18 days? Ooh, I have had so many proud moments. I think two of them really stand out. One was whenever I really fully realized I was going to be going back to school and I was talking to one of my old professors and he said that I was one of the best students he ever had in this classroom and he would do anything he could to help me finish. And I was freshly sober and feeling better already. And that was just such a good feeling. And it made me think I can actually do this. And then there was also, I went to my first bar after being sober last weekend and I sat there for four hours and I talked to my friends and I refused drinks and I didn't drink. And eventually I went home because it, it was a bit too much for me. But I was really proud of myself that I was able to go out, hang out with these people, tell them about my decision and then just go home and relax and not worry about it and just have a good night. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really good stuff to hear. And, and we have reached the rapid fire round. If you get to answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. All right, Samantha, what was your worst memory from drinking? One of my worst memories from drinking, which is also kind of funny, I don't know if you heard about the Louisiana flood of 2016. It got really bad down here, and a lot of people got flooded out of their houses. Well, one night, it was the beginning of the flood. It hadn't gotten too bad yet, and I was totally drunk, and my one of my drug dealers was like, hey, come to my house. And I was like, sure. So I'm driving down the road with a beer, drugs in my car and I get caught in a flash flood. So I roll down my window, I throw my beer out because I look back, there's cops, there's a there's a firefighter. So I threw my beer out the window, I threw my other beer, my drugs, everything out the window and started to crawl on top of my car. They had to rescue me with the fire truck. I was drunk, totally drunk, but I wasn't blackout drunk. So I remember it and it was terrifying and it might have not happened if I hadn't been drunk because I probably wouldn't have driven in the middle of a terrible storm. Yeah. I mean, well, good, good thing. They can't be like, well, man, we saw you swerving. You're like, well, there's three feet of water. You couldn't have seen the lanes anyway. So <laughs> hopefully you got out of that one without, yeah. without a DUI. I did. <laughs> and next question. We've all heard the aha moment. What was your oh shit moment indicating that you can't control your drinking? I think my big oh shit moment was the picture that my girlfriend showed me of me sleeping on the ground outside of the bar the weekend I got sober. Yeah. And what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? How are we going to get day 1920 and week three? Well, I have two very, very close friends that are sober. One of which is back in Minnesota. She's somewhere around four years sober and she's younger than I am. She's really inspirational to me. I talked to her. I talked to my other friend who just made seven months sober, and she always says, keep your goals in front of you. And that's what she says to me every day. She messages me, keep your goals in front of you. Her name is Chanel. And we've been friends since, it's been 10 years that we've been friends. So basically communicate with my sober friends is a big part of my plan and also just keep my goals in front of me, do what I want to do, go to school, you know, stay sober, exercise, take care of myself, love myself. Nice. And what's your favorite resource in recovery, Samantha? Other sober people are a big one for me. I really do like podcasts. I listen to um, Recovery Elevator, the Mental Illness Happiness Hour. I listen to one called Crazy in Bed. It's not what it sounds like. 
and I like a <laughs> I like a podcast called Your Own Magic, which is basically about loving yourself and everyone around you and having good energy and meditation and just all kinds of advice for being more peaceful and spiritual. And in regards to sobriety, Samantha, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think keep your goals in front of you is probably the best, but I also really like the idea that you can always go back to it. You can always go back to drinking, but you can't undo screwing up your sobriety. So just think about that as you're not drinking. If it ever gets bad enough, you can drink again, but you're not drinking today. So. And what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are in recovery or thinking about taking this journey? The way I see it, any amount of time spent not drinking is a win. So if you do mess up, don't beat yourself up about it. And, you know, what we were talking about earlier, just love yourself. Because if you really, truly figure out how to love yourself, then you won't want to do those things to yourself. And any, like I said, any amount of time not drinking is better than drinking every day. Agreed. And before we depart, Samantha, give listeners your own customizer. You might be an alcoholic gift line. You might be an alcoholic if you get drunk at 10 a.m. at your grandmother's birthday party. <laughs> and you're not drinking and- <laughs> with your grandma. <laughs> uh, no, you are uh, around family and your Red Solo cup of Coke, oops, <laughs> there's whiskey in there. Yeah, that Oh, happens. that's awesome. Samantha, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us. Congratulations on 18 days. Keep us updated. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Sometimes I immerse myself in too much recovery books, recovery literature, etc. And right now I'm reading the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. And I like to highly recommend it. Somebody recommended it to me and it's not addiction based, but a lot of these problems can be applied to addiction. So again, it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a, you get it. And I'm halfway listening to it and it's pretty good. Okay, recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.